Um, the reading for tonight is from Ephesians chapter 2, and it's on page 947 of this Red Bible. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is from the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you. Well, let me get myself sorted here. This here is Scout. Say hello, Scout. <laughs> True story, when my mum showed up to the service this evening, she said, oh, Scout's here. Knows the name and everything. <laughs> Scout is my daughter's favourite toy, well, for the last couple of weeks. It will probably change pretty soon. And Scout is the best kind of toy, the kind of toy that all parents love being given by relatives, um, one that requires batteries and one that sings and makes music and noise. Um, you know, we, we just love that. And so that's a hot tip for you this evening if you've got a relative with a small child. Batteries, noisy toy, that's um, exactly what you want to give as a birthday or Christmas gift. Um, because we love it. We love it. Um, but there's been an issue with Scout the last, um, the last couple of weeks. Scout's had a problem. Block your ears, Edie. Poor Scout's been dead. Um, well, I say Scout's dead. Well, his, the batteries have been dead. Um, his batteries have run out. It's rendered him helpless, unresponsive. He can't fix himself. Can't do anything about it. He's dead. Poor Scout. Poor Scout. But we'll get back to Scout in a, in a minute if he doesn't get snatched away. Um, so tonight we're going to look at these few verses in Ephesians. And in them, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and, um, and he talks about a, a kind of deadness. Uh, a deadness which is much more serious than dead batteries. Um, Actually, a, a deadness which is even more serious than a, than a physical deadness. He writes to the Ephesians about a spiritual deadness, an unresponsiveness, a, a lack of spiritual life, which has rendered people helpless, 
unable to fix the situation themselves, if only someone could come from the outside and, and do a work. How about, just before we jump in, um, I feel like I need the Lord's help tonight, and so let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great gift that it is that we get to open up um, a book that you have given to us where we can hear you speak. And so tonight, Lord, as we humble ourselves and sit under your word, would we know your voice? Would you convict us where we need convicting? Um, where we'd, Would you encourage us where we need encouragement? And Lord, would you... Um, strengthen us and embolden us that we would go out and live for you. Amen. So, just by way of background, where we're up to in this book of Ephesians, well, Ephesians, it's a book in the Bible. It's a, it's a letter, in case you didn't know. Paul is writing from jail a letter to the Christians in a city called Ephesus. And if you know a, a, a little bit about your Bible, you might know that Paul has written a bunch of, of letters that we've got in Scripture, and this isn't one of Paul's kind of cranky letters that we can read. Um, you know how Paul has some letters that it's addressing some issue or some sin or some controversy that's been happening in the church. Um, this isn't one of those letters. In this letter, Paul gets to choose exactly what he wants to write about to the Ephesian church. He gets to make a decision of what he is going to say. So, if Paul is going to write a letter from jail, what would he write about? You might think that maybe he would write a letter that's detailing the circumstances of his imprisonment, like his conditions in jail. He doesn't choose to do that. He might, you might think that he'd write a letter that details his life story, he doesn't do that. You think he might write a, a letter about whether or not Jack should have got kicked off the voice this week. He doesn't choose to do that either. What he chooses to do is to write a letter which is all about God's intention, God's purpose in sending Jesus. A letter that's all about why, what was God doing in sending Jesus? And as a result of that, how, how are people meant to live in light of what God has done. And then when we get to chapter 2, he narrows it in and pretty much just says three things. Christians, know who you were. Know what God has done and know what grace is. Know who you were, know what God has done and know what grace is. He says, know who you were. He says, you, you were dead. That's who you were, Christians. You were dead. You were spiritually dead. Dead in your trespasses and your sins. You were spiritually dead. You, you, you missed the mark of living up to God's standard. You rebelled against Him. You didn't do what you were meant to do. You've fallen short. You've rejected God. You're spiritually dead. There's no life in you. You look alive on the outside, but you are not. And that sin, it's separated you. It's alienated you from God. You're, you're, you've been separated from Him. That's, that's who you were. And not only that, not, not only are you, were you dead, 
but you are under the influence. You are the un- under the influence of three things. You are under the influence of the world, under the influence of the devil, and under the influence of the flesh. He says, you are under the influence of the world in that you just followed the ways of the world. You just went along with the world, the spirit of the age. You took your cues from the world, your sense of right and wrong, your sense of value, your sense of good and bad. You took your cues from the world. You just followed in the ways of the world. You're under the influence. And you're under the influence of the devil. It's a personal evil spirit which has given this darkness, this fogginess, and this spirit is alive in all who are disobedient to God. You're influenced by the devil. And not only that, you are influenced by the flesh. You just carried out the desires, the passions of your body and your mind. It's all conspired against you. This sin which has alienated you from God and separated you. So you were, you were dead, you were influenced by the world, the devil and the flesh, and because of that, you were children of wrath, or that you, you, you stood under judgment, that you were under God's wrath, you were condemned in your sin. And it's not just a, a case of what you have done or haven't done, but we, we see here that he says that all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so this is not just sin that we've done, but it's sin that we've inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve. It's the condition into which all humanity is born under the curse of sin, separated from God and spiritually dead. Heavy stuff, hey, for a, for a Sunday night. But the, the seriousness of the situation of what Christians once were only serves to magnify the, the beauty, the, the glory, the majesty of what God has done. So now that he said, Ephesians, know who you were, he now says, know what God has done. What has God done? He's reversed all of that for those who have trusted in Jesus. God has made us alive. Paul includes himself in in all of this. God has made us alive. We, We were spiritually dead, but he's given us life. He's raised us with Christ. He's seated us with Christ. And it's, it's funny that that's how we so often talk about Jesus, isn't it? That, that Jesus was made alive and Jesus was raised from the dead and Jesus was seated, like He is seated with the Father right now. But here Paul is using this language for believers, showing that the, the work that God was doing in Christ it's, it's for believers as well, that, that Christ's destiny becomes the destiny of those who trust in His name. We're made alive in Christ. That spiritual deadness is gone and we're a new creation, that we would walk in a newness of life, like Romans says. 
and we're raised with Christ. That's, we're given new life and this resurrection life with Christ. It's, it's not just something that, that happens um, later on, but ne- it happens now. Like once we are a new creation in Christ, we're raised to a newness of life, that we would go and live this resurrection life now with Jesus. And lastly, we're seated. God has seated us with Christ. What does, what does that mean? Well, Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven now. We know that He is victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And this is a picture of us being able to share in His victory over those things. That those who have trusted in Jesus, those who have been made alive in Him, those who have um, been raised with Christ, we now share in the victory that Jesus has over sin. That, that we've been rescued from the penalty of sin and He is now rescuing us from the very power of sin over our life. We're seated with Christ. So why would God do all of this? If we've rejected Him, if we've fallen short, if, if He can't stand the presence of sin, the sight of sin, if we were dead, if we just followed the ways of this world instead of following Him, if we were influenced by the devil and the flesh instead of being influenced by God, like why would God do this salvific work? Why would He do this rescuing work? Well, Paul writes right here in verse 4, he says, because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead. It's by grace you have been saved. And so, this rescuing work of God, this, this making alive of those who are spiritually dead, it's, God doesn't do it out of obligation. He doesn't do it out of duty. He doesn't do it because He has to. He doesn't do it because anyone at all on planet Earth deserves it. He does it out of an overflow of His character. He does it just because He loves, because that's who He is. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of kindness. And He's willingly poured that out as a gift. He's done that because of who He is. And He's done that so that those who would trust in the name of Jesus would then go on to display the character of God. In verse 7, Paul writes, it's in order that in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, in order that in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. That He's, he's done this in order that His kindness, His goodness, would actually be on display because He's rescued us. And so, the world and us and we all can see what God is like because of what He's done for us in Christ. So, Paul has written, Christians, know who you were, know what God has done, and then he says, and know what grace is. So, for the second time in this passage, Paul says, it's by grace you have been saved. It's by grace. 
So God was under no compulsion, no like obligation. He didn't rescue or save anyone out of duty or because they, they earned it or it's not a reward for anything that they've done. It's an unmerited gift. It's, it's, it's just an outpouring of his kindness to those who, who never could live a life that ever deserved it, not even in a thousand lifetimes. That's who he is. He's just poured out his kindness. It's, it's by grace. And so if, if, if you have trusted in Christ, how are we to understand our role in salvation? Like how, do, okay, so I'm a Christian. So what, what part do I play in my salvation? Well, we, we take on board this gift through faith through placing humble trust in our rescuer, Jesus. Yeah, we're, we're imperfect. But I place my humble trust in the one who is perfect, the one who is perfect for me. I place my humble trust in the one who took the punishment for my sin, the one who took the place of condemnation, for me. We take on board this gift through faith. And then Paul like really hammers on it. He says it's not our own doing if we've been rescued. It's a gift. It's not of works, like we haven't attained this great level of piety or righteousness and so then purchase salvation off God. Um, It's not of works, And that's a good thing because it means that none of us can boast. You can't look down your nose at somebody who isn't a believer and say, they'll never become a Christian or they're not good enough for God because because you know what it is to have once been dead in your sins. You can't look down your nose at the world that largely doesn't know Jesus because you know that you didn't deserve this gift this gift of grace. And, and it means that as, as Christians, we can't boast in the good that we do because any good that we do, it's just Jesus' life working through us. We haven't deserved anything. And yet, God has come through in His grace. So, all of this is, it's actually pretty important stuff um, because what is at stake here is is really God's glory. It's it's important stuff because Paul is really clear here that that you are not the hero of your salvation story. I'm not the hero of my salvation story. Only Jesus is. On my own, I was dead in my sins. On my own, I could never work my way up to heaven. But the good news is this, that God would send His Son to come down, to come down to me. And to, to try to purchase off God by doing good stuff, trying to earn God's favor, thinking if only I was a bit more like this or if I did this or stopped doing that, then surely then God would love me. Surely then God would 
approve of me or show me affection. Like, that's just to try and purchase what he's already freely given. And it, and it misses... Um, it, it misses the real need that we have of him. Do you remember Jesus said, like, really clearly, like, that he, that he didn't come, like, the physician doesn't come for the, for the healthy. The physician comes for the sick. And, and Jesus says, I came for sinners. I came for those who recognize their need for salvation. Let's not be blinded by our so-called good works, thinking we could ever deserve this. And this is important because we see on display our togetherness with Christ, our union with Christ. Like, it doesn't just say that um, we were spiritually dead and then God has made us alive. It says that we're made alive with Christ, that that the life that we live as followers of Jesus is life with Jesus now. Like, we, we aren't alone in this. The, the, the life that we live, the good that we do, is Jesus' life working through us. It's amazing. It's incredible that He would so set it up that way, that, that we would share in the victory that Jesus has over sin and death. We're together with Christ. We're together with Him now. And so, there we go. Um, oh yeah, Scout. Forgot about Scout. Um, I see a a few little challenges. I don't know if challenge is the right word, but it's the word I've typed in. Um, I see some challenges for us, but we'll get back to Scout. This works, I promise. You just go stick with me. I didn't leave Scout how he was. I got out my screwdriver, opened up his back and swapped out the batteries. Very tricky operation. Now, Scout is a trophy of my ability to do a work. Every time... Scout sings his definitely not annoying songs. It's a testament to the work that I have done in stepping in and bringing him to to life. He's a display, if you will, if you (laughs) let me push it this far, of my character, my goodness, to do that kind of work. And so is with you. If you've trusted in Christ, you are a trophy of God's grace. You are a living, breathing example of God's powerful ability to work a miracle in bringing life to a dead thing. You are a living, breathing example of God's grace and kindness just through who He has made you into. And the call for us is then to go on and live lives that are worthy of that calling, that we would display God's character to the world around us. 
Not so that He loves us, but because He already has. Not so that He rescues us, but because He already has. If you've trusted in Christ, you are a living, breathing example of God's kindness. Because you didn't deserve it, and yet He has given you this grace. He is the one who has stepped in and rescued you, brought you to life. Another challenge for us is to remember to receive the gift of of grace, or to remember grace, to remember the costliness of the gift, because we can diminish or cheapen the gift of grace in in a couple of ways. We can cheapen the gift of of grace by, on one hand, kind of harbouring and loving our sin and holding on to it and refusing to let it go and and believing that the sin in our life will give us more pleasure, more joy, more happiness, more satisfaction, more security than what freedom in God could do. And that cheapens what God has done by setting us free. Or on the other hand, we can cheapen God's grace by still trying to work it off ourselves by believing that if I live a certain way, then I will be worthy of God's affection. Or if I do this, this, this and stop doing that and definitely never do that thing ever again, then God will love me. And it's just not true. Or if I do these good things, then that means that I'm a real Christian. And, and in doing so, we've, we've missed the point again, because we've cheapened the, the, the great gift that God has poured out, the great grace that He's poured out. So, we can, we can muck it up, we can forget this gift of grace by loving and holding on to our sin or by refusing to believe that it was a gift and I've still got to work for God's favour. When the truth is, we actually need to repent of both things. We need to repent of loving our sin and we need to repent of our righteousness, funnily enough, our self-righteousness, trying to obtain for ourselves what God has freely given. And there's a challenge here for us to know who we are in Christ. If we would really grab a hold of who we were before God stepped in, if, if, if we would really grab a hold of that, we would know that we are loved by God. If you've trusted in Jesus, if you've placed your, your faith in Him, you have been saved. You've been liberated from slavery to sin. You're forgiven. You're free from condemnation. You are alive. And in verse 10, Paul says, we are God's handiwork. We're God's handiwork. We're created in Christ. And in the original language, that handiwork word is, is poema, where we get the word poem from. If you trusted in Christ, you were God's poems. 
You, you've been created in Him. You're treasured by Him, designed by Him. Know who you are in Christ. You are not your sin. You are loved, saved, and forgiven. New identity. Like we sang earlier in the service, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I'm not a child of wrath anymore. I'm a child of God because I've been set free. And lastly, we've been created in Christ to walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So it might have sounded like we're kind of trashing good works and doing good stuff. No, Um, good works are good if they come out of a heart that is responding to what God has already done. Good works are are good if we realise where we've come from, who we used to be, and we recognise and realise what God has done for us at such great cost to His Son, and now out of joyful response to Him, I want to go and live a life that honours Jesus. Those, those are good works, to go and live for Jesus, to go and do good in His name. But good works are bad works when we do good stuff so we look good or so that we can feel good about ourselves. Or um, Good works are bad works when we are attempting to gain favour a love from God through the stuff that we do. But God has prepared in advance good works for His believers, for His children. There's good for you to do in the world. I think that's going to look different for, for all of us. But we can stick to love God and love people and we'll be on the right track, I reckon. Maybe not asking the question, what would Jesus do? But asking the question, what did Jesus do? What did he do? Now I'm going to go live like that. He's prepared in advance works for us to do because we've been made alive in him. Where to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus continues his work in the world through his people today. Works that honour God, bring fame to God, that point away from ourselves and point instead to our Saviour. So, remember who you were. Remember what God has done for you. And remember grace. Remember grace, the great gift that God has poured out because He loves you. Let's pray.